2: what is up nets fans welcome to Brooklyn buzz i'm nick Faye. with me as always my guy jack manuel and jack another nets win 132 114 james harding got the w in his houston return how we feeling jack i love joey buckets <laughs> i mean joe had almost a perfect game tonight we're going to talk about that and plenty more as always you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms but jack where do we start here
1: I mean, Nick, let's start with the the man and his return. James Harden seemed to be really appreciative and all the talk before the game is retiring the number. How was the beard in his return to Houston?
2: Yeah, I felt like early on, uh, Houston did a great job putting a lot of pressure on him, giving double teams. You see the eight turnovers, but by the end of the game, James Harden was doing his normal thing. 29-point triple-double, 14 assists, 10 rebounds. And they just really didn't have anybody that could defend him. 10 or 15 from the field. And you saw a lot of double teams. The numbers probably don't even do him justice because he had a ton of hockey assists in this game. Hitting either, you know, Bruce Brown in that short roll, Nick Claxon, whoever it was. Just kind of taking advantage and creating momentum with the team with the attention that Houston was giving him.
1: And look, that's he is so incredibly savvy passing out of the double team. The the Nets do. Bruce Brown's in, instincts have been really really good playing alongside James Harden. Yep. The, what he has done again, another you know fifteen point plus performance uh, for Bruce Brown as well. The the chemistry between him and all his teammates it's it's been insane how how quickly that has developed. We're only thirty seven games at the season, like twenty five or so games to James Harden's Brooklyn Nets career. But what he has developed with the rest of the guys in this roster, uh, it's truly outstanding, I and mean, it is why he is an MVP candidate.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, with Bruce Brown, just the understanding and making him an impactful player without having, you know, a great three-point shot or at least one he likes to shoot a lot. Like, it's rare you see a six-four guard have that type of impact. And a lot of credit goes to James Harden. Obviously, Bruce Brown did his thing, too. But also, we're seeing a nice chemistry between uh, James Harden and Nick Claxton.
1: Clack City, bitch. Clack, Clack City, bitch. I'm going to keep singing that whenever Nicholas Claxton plays basketball. Or maybe not, if that puts uh, people off, but the last time I sung it, he was playing pretty damn awesome basketball, uh, and he did last, uh, the other night as well, against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, what can we say about this kid, Nick? The, they were somehow able, it seems like Sean Marks was bragging to Raphael Stone, oh, thanks for letting us keep Clax uh, before the game as well. He is a, a goddamn marvel. In the minutes that he's out there, He just seems to make so much of an impact that it's just crazy. 16 points, 7 of 8 from the field. Got to the free throw line as well. Eight boards, including three offensive boards. And just such an impact in such a limited amount of time. Is he going to be starting soon, Nick?
2: I don't think so, Jack. I think they're going to go with the bench roll, especially in the way Steve Nash talked about him after the game, kind of wanting to ease him into the physical workload. Obviously, Claxon has missed a ton of time, too. And we've talked about it before, not necessarily the biggest guy. So you don't want him bang against some of those bigger centers. I like him in his bench roll. Give him James Harden, in that second unit. And like you said, he continues to impress. Like it's just every game you're like, oh, damn, like that's something new or this is another feature he can add to this team. And I thought one feature that stuck out tonight was I mentioned earlier, the double team On James Harden, okay, hit Nick Claxton. Very comfortable putting the ball on the floor around that elbow area, driving to the rim. We saw him do that a couple times tonight, especially against the undersized uh, Houston Rockets.
1: He he did in the previous game as well. It seems to me that your compilation package of Clack City (laughs) is going to be growing and growing and growing by the day. You're going to need a new hard drive, my friend. Man, he looks good out there on the floor. He plays good out there on the floor. He is, and, and the thing is, I like the highlight from the other game that um, Lucas Kaplan posted him talking his shit to DeMar DeRozan in yep. the last game as well. He's got a confidence about him that is just oozing through him. He knows he belongs. He knows he's an NBA player. And as he continues to get those reps, and I'll be intrigued to see if he can do this in 16 minutes of basketball, man, imagine what he can do with 30 minutes plus.
2: Yeah, no, it's really crazy, and I thought he was exposed to different guards tonight. You know, he got a lot of switches on Victor Oladipo and John Wall. You know, had a pretty good success rate. They caught him a couple times, but that's going to happen being a bigger guy. It's really interesting. I mean, 7 of 8 from the field. He hasn't even really attempted many jump shots. Very confident athletic attacking the rim. And honestly, his game at times feels more like a forward than a center, especially with the way he kind of plays defensively sometimes with that switchability, that perimeter defense. You know, he still has the rim protection of possibility, but I just feel like he can be in different lineups with, you know, Jeff Green and Kevin Durant. And it's like, there's just going to be so much versatility.
1: Oh, dude, imagine that lineup. I'm buzzing about that lineup. When you have KD, Jeff Green, and Nicholas Claxton, yep. holy moly. We, we were sort of talking about, oh, the Nets have, don't have rim protection. They don't have pain protection. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we've got this guy who's been injured for a little while. Let's bring him back in. He's not only a, a really insane athlete vertically, but uh, laterally as well in terms yep. of guarding those small blocks, as you've mentioned, Nick. You know, be it DeMar Rose, be it Victor Oldiva, be it John Wall, be it Devin Booker. You know, Nicholas Claxton guards them all. You know, he is a. He's a special, special player, Nick, and he's going into something right now. And, you know, it's, there's, I think, just looking at the big picture overall, the reason why, you know, sometimes there loses some sort of energy or juice to a team that is just so dominant is that. They don't have these sort of homegrown stars and homegrown players. We lost it in Carlos We lost it in Jared Allen. And it's just like, damn, okay. It feels like we kind of lost something. And Spence is still waiting in the wings as well. We obviously got Joey Buckets. But Nicholas Claxton is a guy that we've drafted. And the development that he's shown, obviously from being like a G League performer to growing into now just a bona fide NBA player. He's playing out there against teams. You know, the San Antonio Spurs was an incredible performance. Yep. tonight again against the Houston Rockets. Good players show consistency. Good players go sh- show more than impact. He's playing beyond his years right now, Nick. And what he brings to the team is just a dynamic and energy, not only for the team itself, but for the fans. There's a real insatiable energy and desire for Clack City. We all love it. Who doesn't love Clack City? I'm, yeah, I'm moving in like- for property down there.
2: <laughs> uh it's like a youthful juice for the team, you know what I mean? Just like that extra spark and like you said, Jack, not only for fans having a homegrown guy, but I think watching Young talent is exciting because there's some unknown, you know what I mean? It's like, oh shit, this guy's gonna be like who I thought he could be and like honestly, Claxton's killing it like I was we were talking a little bit with Dalton Pence in the the group chat today and he was kind of reminiscing on what he talked about in draft day and just like, Claxton's already starting to live up to some of that hype. Obviously, there's a long way to go and a lot more of his game to be exposed and a lot more reps out there, but the promise is insane, especially like this fresh into his NBA career. And like you kind of mentioned, you know, the KD, Jeff Green, Claxton lineup will give the Nets some incredible versatility, give them some actual plus defenders. And then you could even have Kyrie and James Harden, or you could throw out there whoever you want because. There's so much switchability and like he mentioned he's not really worrying about shooting but when he does start knocking down that three point shot the Nets offense <laughs> might even go up like another level at least a second unit offense
1: it, it, it will be over, Nick. It, it's just not fair. We can't, the The rest of the NBA have to enforce some level of rules. I'm sure LeBron James is on the phone at himself right now, and that means that we've seen a million times. He's saying, don't let Clack shoot the threes. It, it just ain't fair. It's already done for, for the NBA. But yeah, he is a, a really special player. And, and what he is doing for the Nets right now, and it continuing to grow uh, in his comfortability within this team, it's, it's scary. I mean, we know the scary hours are upon us. They're spooky. They're frightening. Uh, I'm trying to think of as many synonyms as I can think of. Many vivid verbs if I'm talking about my teacher talk. But yeah, he's a, he's a really, really awesome young player. Uh, and it's we're pretty damn lucky to have this kid on the team because, man, we lost Jared Allen. Um, we, we don't have Julius Wren. We don't have Chris Bosh, but we've got Nicholas Claxton.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think another thing, this is like big picture, and just I'll touch on it real quick, is like Klaxon has the potential to be a guy that kind of helps carry into the next run of Brooklyn basketball, given what, Jack, he's like 20 years old, and he can possibly develop into an all-star later down the line. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but there were talks of that type of potential when he was drafted, just given his offensive skill set and the athleticism and, you know, body type he has.
1: Yeah, I think, I can't remember what podcast I heard this on, but there are players that don't fit a prototype. And those are the players that redefine what the comparisons are. Draymond Green... Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis. I'm not saying Nicholas Claxton. <laughs> that's, a, that's some names. Where are you going, point. Jack? <laughs> <laughs> just stay with me, listeners. Please don't switch off just yet or, or skip forward 30 seconds. I'm just saying that Nicholas Claxon has a skill set that is really hard to pin down and go. I mean, we always go with Chris Bosh. And Chris Bosh is almost in a league of his own as well. He redefined the position yep. of center. The Miami Heat small ball with Chris Bosh defined Himself and being like, you know what, I'm not this trying to wrap this guy who can just score at will. I can now defend out on the perimeter. And look, it would be a heck of a career if he even gets half of what Chris Bosch has done. But Nicholas Claxton has such a diversity and flexibility and malleability to his game. And what he's doing this right now and is impacting on a winning team, yeah. Nick, one of the best teams in the league. You don't see rookies do that very often. And he's not a rookie, obviously, but he's only he played. Much is. Yeah, he's played 20 games in his career. Give him the goddamn rookie of the year. Stuff Lamella, he deserves it.
2: <laughs> no, like you said, Jack, I think that too is like you're not limiting his skill set because there's so much potential in so many different areas, like attacking the rim, handling the basketball, passing the basketball, the potential of his jump shot, defensively, switchability, rim protection. Just there's a lot of different things that he can do in the basketball court. And like you said, already having an impact on a winning team After missing almost like a year and plus of basketball and now coming in here and playing what is this like his fourth or fifth game and he's already helping the team get wins and set up runs so I mean like his game tonight wasn't as important in terms of like getting the win but last night against the Spurs in that overtime game or Monday in that overtime game like he was a crucial factor
1: the Nets wouldn't have won the game without Nicholas Claxton. And I know you and Joe, Money McCart, really dived deep into that and did a really good breakdown and all your highlights and you put out a nice little compilation package on your or Twitter page at OTG underscore Nick. But it's going to be interesting and I think it's also a nice time. I think the all-star break in general is going to be good for this Brooklyn Nets yeah. team, for Kyrie Irving, for Nicholas Claxton, have a bit of a reset. You know, you can tell that these minutes are getting to him a little bit, you know, playing a high level NBA basketball is different from getting the reps out in the G league and, and with long Island and such. But I think that the reset and obviously the all-star break is going to hopefully help Kevin Durant in some sense. So we can get to that sort of general uh, talking in a little bit, but, Look, I'm really excited for what Nick Claxton can bring, and this is only such a—he's in the infancy of his career, and it's only going to be onwards and upwards for a kid like this.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned the conditioning, Jack. Occasionally, I'll see him on the floor kind of take a deep breath, like, shit, man, I'm tired. So, I like you said, when he starts getting more conditioned and more comfortable with the game, like we've seen over the last couple of nights, he continues that, like— he's going to be getting easy buckets like Bruce Brown gets because he's just a fast big. Like, he's just going to sprint down the floor. We saw that happen one time tonight, but we're going to see that more often because he's just that much more athletic than a lot of guys that are going to be defending him.
1: And, and he plays tough. with
2: one of the best passers.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's not... James Harden makes everyone in on whatever team he is on better. Like, he is, he is LeBron James-like in that fashion. Yep. You know, the the leadership and tangibility in terms of the passes that he creates in the lanes and the openings that he creates for his teammates, it's truly insane. And that's only going to make Nicholas Claxton better. It's the reason why Clint Capella is a $90 million man right now and, and earning the big bucks. Because, look, Clint Capella is a really good player, but there's some talent there for Nicholas Claxton that I think he could be better than Clint Capella in a lot of respects. And it's it's something that I'm going to be watching on for, Nick, because as much as I'm loving James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Joe Harris and Bruce Brown do their things, there's just something about this kid, Nicholas Claxton. My Clax City, the property there is booming.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's just so much potential in so many different areas. So it's just so exciting to see what will happen with this player, especially given the net success in developing players. Obviously, this is a different coaching regiment. But Joe Harrison, his uh, podcast with Woj, I think talked about some of the different things that go on with the organization as a whole, not even coaching related, that helps younger players kind of take that next step. But- hey, everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle's the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll a personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part? It's only $15, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle's an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance in the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Talking about Joe, I mentioned, you know, as we started the show, almost perfect night for him. 19.7 of 9 from the field, 4 or 5 from 3. I thought he had some really nice defensive possessions on John Wall and Victor Oladipo in this game too.
1: You don't need to throw stats at me to tell me that Joe Harris <laughs> is perfect, Nick. What are you talking about here, mate? He is... Hey,
2: what got some Joe competition Harris. I saw on the Nets Twitter. <laughs> hey, hey,
1: that lady uh, is, uh, funnily enough, my long lost sister. You know, I've got some <laughs> family out in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, <laughs> no, in, in all ser- <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, Joe Harris is becoming a really complete player, and he is not settling for being sort of just like a guy that is going to provide you a spark plug off the bench and or sp- providing a spark plug as a shooter. Sorry. He is wanting to do everything as a basketball. He doesn't want to be a defensive liability that people have sort of said before. And we had John at OGGBasketball.com who did a really thorough breakdown of that. Just He does all the tangible things that a lot of other people just fail to do. And he is just doing all the right things. And whether it's an individual possession, whatever it might be, He's just doing everything. And he's mid-range jumper, I'm, I'm as, almost as comfortable as that. If it's around the free throw line, I'm just like, yeah, that's going in. I'm almost as comfortable with that as he is with his three-point shot right now. His three-point shot is historically good, and he's so good, he's not even in the three-point contest. Who would have thought?
2: Yeah, I think he opted out based off of the way he kind of acted afterward because uh, Grady he's asked him.
1: Right. He just works here at the end of the day. He's too yeah. good for the three-point contest. What,
2: Jalen Brown's in the three-point contest? <laughs> Please. I mean, like, honestly, Joe, like, just the way he's shooting this year could, like, set a record in a three point contest. Like, the way he's shooting wide open threes, but. Like you said, Jack, continuing to improve his game. That mid-range touch, mid-range touch is really nice. And we saw tonight, like, some teams are going to kind of play him off that three-point line. He's going to have to make that cut inside. And with James Harden, that's an easy bucket. And with the way Joe's shooting, that's an easy bucket, too. Only 24, t- uh, 24 minutes tonight. I think some of that was just Steve Nash maybe trying to get him some rest. And also, there were a couple garbage minutes in this game. So, if it was closer, he'd probably play closer to 28 minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, Landry Schammer got 29, and yeah. Landry look look pretty good out there as well, got some extra time uh, in garbage time too. But another thing on Joe Harris, Nick, the stats for him are just gangbusters. Yeah. You know, I have a, a Google, running Google Doc that is about 18 pages long with all of the stats that Joe Harris and all the records that he's breaking. I think B-Ball ref had the other day that he has like a 69.4 E field goal percentage behind only Welch Chamberlain in the history. I'm just like... You know, you're in the history books when you're alongside Michael Jordan or Wilt Chamberlain, and Joe Harris is a guard. Shout out to Will Jackson for, for that. He is doing this as a guard. Like, yep. you you expect it from DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen, and their E field goal percentages are, like, the top two or three in the league. But Joe Harris is, like, in the top five himself, and he's a jump shooter, Nick. He's a jump shooter
2: yeah i mean it really is incredible historical season like you said jack starting to get some of that national respect it seems like you're seeing more and more people tweet about joe harris and it's like okay guys like he's been doing this for a while i know this season is historical but like he's been an elite three-point shooter for a while and jack i think you'll like one of the topics we touch on the outlet uh, that's dropping tomorrow
1: <laughs> oh yes subscribe to that one ladies and gents
2: but um, let's see. Let's talk Kyrie Irving. Not necessarily Kyrie's best game tonight. We saw 24 points, 9-21 from the field, 4-9 from three. And at one point, he was 4-14. Steve Nash had a little talk with him on the bench. Next thing you know, back in his groove, just lighting things up and doing his thing. And I think sometimes, like, Steve Nash is the perfect guy when KD's not around to kind of keep him in check to an extent.
1: What do you think he said, Nick?
2: said just I think he probably just said relax like you know he put his hands on his shoulders just like yo like you're probably pushing a little bit too hard trying to do a little bit too much let the game come to you especially with the way that Houston was playing some of the star players and collapsing on a lot of drives like just let the game come I think the next possession he hit a deep three
1: yeah look (laughs) the it was it, it reminded me a little bit of the San Antonio game where you know I would rather a player want to do too much and want to impact the game too much. And, and Kyrie Irving has that talent that he can do so. But th- there's times where it's just like his individual can- incandescence sort of overtakes everything else about this Nets team. And what makes this Nets team brilliant is that Kyrie Irving can have that incandescence and then he's got Joe Harris, he's got Bruce Brown, he's got Kyrie, yeah. he's got jo- James Harden, he's got DeAndre Jordan as a lob threat, he's got Nicholas Claxton, he's got Landry Shamet, he's got whoever else out there. That also make him even better because of their brilliance alongside it. It's the collective that makes Kyrie Irving so great, and he's so individually brilliant as well. But I really like what he's been providing as a pass, and yes, his efficiency from the field. Look, he's probably not going to be having that 50-40-90 season. Hopefully, the little bit of the break with the All-Star game lets him rest the finger a little bit, and he isn't doing too much uh, over the All-Star night, whatever the hell it is. But yeah. even saying that, it seems to me that despite the 9-21 from the field, he was four of nine from three. He's had six assists and five boards, including two offensive boards. I still like what he brings to this team, Nick, because in seasons past, when he was, you know, less experienced and and probably had to be the fulcrum of the team. You know, whether it was in Boston or in, in previous iterations by himself in Cleveland, it would just be all on Kyrie, where it's now... Mm. you are got Kyrie, you've got James Harden, and you've also got really solid teammates and role players alongside him. And it just allows him to be who he is. He has this balance. He has this Zen-like nature that he's just like, yeah, I kind of get it, Steve. I know what you're saying to me. Whereas at the start of the season, he's like, oh, I don't need a coach. Who's a coach? What, what coach are you talking about? Which is like, sometimes you just need... You good, bro? And it's just like, yeah, man. I kind of feel it. And sometimes you just hear those words, let it sink in, and Kyrie just let Kyrie do his thing and let him flourish as an individual within this net system. Because within this net system, Kyrie Irving is a goddamn superstar. He, I put the true shooting percentages out last night, Nick. I was just stunned at how many Brooklyn Nets players are at above like 62% plus.
2: Yeah, I mean, the offense in Brooklyn is nuts. This team is going to set records. And like you said, Jack, I think his passing has really stuck out to me over the last couple of weeks. You I know, just the-
1: last night to DJ. I know you and Joe touched on it, but i got to bring it up again. because I-, like I-, I was like
2: Harlem Globetrotters.
1: <laughs> just like, well, 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 it was Rajon right up. I'm just like, kai has got a bag, man. And his bag isn't just he's shooting and, and, and scoring package. His bag is, is look, Nicholas Claxton said he's got a bag. I think Kyrie Evans might be just a little bit deeper, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kyrie's got luggage at this point, Jack. I don't know if he has a bag. (laughs) No, but uh, for real, like, Kyrie and his passing with DJ, I think, has really improved, too. Like, they've always had a little bit of a connection, but it just seems like they're on different vibes now, especially because, like, Kyrie's more of the secondary action or he's not running the show. So it's, like, easier for them to get some of those setups rather than James Harden where teams are like oh, they're going to run a pick and roll. We're kind of expecting that, especially with, the, you know, playing Bruce Brown out there. I think teams have done a good job of trying to collapse some of the driving lanes. But again, the Nets still really ate in the paint tonight compared to Houston.
1: They continue to just know where the openings are and continue to just be so damn good offensively, yep. historically on night up by night basis that you know it doesn't matter if Bruce Brown isn't shooting well from the three point line, mind you, he did shoot one of two from from there, and he's taking the right shots. He's yep. he's at least making the defense collapse, and you know he has a confidence level there that look, I'm not saying Andre Roberson is a can't do anything offensively, but Bruce Brown has so many limits to his offensive game. He still has a confidence where it's just like you know what, I'm still going to take this three, and I'm still think it's going in whether it's kicked out to me on the corner or whatever. I'm going to take one or two shots tonight, keep the defense on us. I said that time and time again, but he just knows how to impact the game. He's just strong, man. He looks like Squidward whenever he's getting those goddamn and one uh, packages. He's been goddamn awesome for us this season. One of the best rebounding center guard. Let's call him yeah. a center guard from now on because that's what he is for us.
2: Yeah, what did Zach Lowe call him? Like Rover? <laughs>
1: A rover. Funnily enough, the rover is actually, for those Aussie listeners at home, it's actually a position in the AFL where it's just a guy who literally does everything and has to just get the ball and do everything for the team. So, a rover in the AFL, I don't mind that for Bruce Brown either. Rover or Senegard. I don't want Zach Lowe can stick to his own stuff. Well, let's keep the buzz terminology here Senegard and Clack City tonight.
2: Yes. Center guard really had a nice game though. I mean, seventeen points, six of eleven from the field, one to two from three, four six on the free throw line, eight rebounds, seven assists, seven assists for Bruce Brown. I mean, I we we hinted at a little bit a few shows ago. Him on that short roll is a luxury, man. Like he is a guard. He has a point guard background from a couple, you know, with a stint with Detroit. So like. It's easy for him to just throw the oop to DJ. And he's comfortable shooting the floater in that range too. So the defense is kind of like, shit, I don't know what he's going to do. And his floater looks like a oop. So it's mad confusing.
1: <laughs> and then he's also, there are times where it's just like, okay, I can kick out to, to the left or the right here. Yep. might have Tyler Johnson, might have Landon Sham might have Joe Harris, might even have Kyrie Irving or James yeah. Harden. It's, it's a... To have Bruce Brown on this team, it is just an abundance of riches because, like you mentioned, Nick, his skill set is low-key underrated in terms of what he has offensively. Passing, scoring, all of it, and rebounding as well. Like, he does so many different things. In transition activity. And he's quick. He's strong. There's just so many different things about him that it's just like there is a reason why he is a Brooklyn Nets fan favorite and why Pistons fans still love him and are still looking at all the tweets from Nets fans that are getting a little bit up in their feelings. Look, if I lost Bruce Brown, you know it's sort of like us losing Jared Allen. We're always going to love Jared Allen. Uh, Pistons fans are always going to love Bruce Brown. We're goddamn lucky to have him.
2: At least we got something for Jared Allen.
1: <laughs> uh, don't rub it in there. Look, if we got Pistons fans listening low at home, Nick Faye does not re- reflect the thoughts and feelings of all propriety <laughs> members of the, the bus.
2: I think they probably feel the same way, but you kind of mentioned this before, Jack. Bruce Brown's offense in comparison to Andre Roberson's offense is night and day. Like, Roberson just has zero offensive impact, and I'm not trying to, like, shit on the guy or anything. It's just been part of his career. Very scared to take that three-point shot. And he doesn't really have that finishing package that Bruce Brown does. Passing isn't really there. He's just not a very confident offensive player. And it's like, in my head, I was just like, oh, this team is so good offensively. It won't really matter. But I feel like sometimes when you have such a negative offensively or such a like an option for the other team just not to defend, it hurts the offense at times. And that's why Andre Roberson was minus four tonight. And it really it felt like that. It probably felt like more, to be honest.
1: Yeah, he was, out of the guys who had, you know, rotation minutes of of 15 minutes or more, he was the only guy who was in minus. You know, it's plain and simple. You know, he is a net negative out there. And I guess talking about it, you know, there's probably only a couple of days left on that that 10-day contract, Nick. Do you think he's sticking around or do you think that you know, PJ Tucker or Ben Macklemore, or Daniel House or any of these other guys. JJ Redick. we saw the rumors about that, that I put out from Kevin O'Connor's The Mismatch Podcast. And we also saw from ESPN doing some mock trades as well. Do you think Andre Robeson is long for this
2: team? Honestly, Jack, I'm not sure. I feel like he had, you know, some, some things going his way, obviously getting minutes in the rotation, but like, they haven't necessarily been successful minutes. And like, yeah, he could still make the team and be that 15th guy, but I think you want to have the flexibility. So it's on the nets. I mean, I would wait on the 10 day or I'd wait to sign him. I would just be like, or maybe give him another 10 day, uh, like a little bit later into the second half of the season. And then if it comes to it and you don't get anybody in the buyout market, okay, he can be your 15th man. Because I'll say this, defensively, he's still good. He's still a switchable defender and he gives you at least a little bit of size and wingspan. It's just the offense is really negative.
1: Yeah, look, if, when if when the, the moment comes when Kevin Durant comes back and you got Jeff Green back in the lineup as well, and you have him as the only sort of net negative in, in the lineup, you know, that's okay. And if he's hoping to hone in on just one player and just be a defensive player, that's okay. But again, it's not more than okay. He's not providing anything else yep. on the floor. And while... It's interesting because you know it, it, there are a few players in the modern NBA that provide you nothing offensively because it is such an offensively driven league. And the Nets right now, their identity is you know not pure offense, but it's pretty damn pure offense. So for Andre Roberson, look. If it's another 10-day, cool. I just don't think that he belongs on this team right now. Um, And maybe uh, my mind will be changed once we see him maybe play alongside Jeff Green and or Kevin Durant. But I just think that that spot can be better filled with uh, another center, maybe another wing, maybe another trade, maybe a buyout guy. Whatever happens, the Nets are going to add to this roster going forward. And I think that player is likely to be better than Andre Robeson.
2: Yeah, I would love a big still, and I think I'd love another wing in place of Roberson. If Roberson's, you know, the only option, I guess you live with it. You don't necessarily have to play him. It's essentially him and TLC kind of battling for minutes the rest of the season, both being like the only forwards on the team. And I guess you mentioned Landry Shamit. I thought, you know, he had some really good moments in this game. The dude fights defensively. Just there's certain situations where he just doesn't have the size. Like John Wall caught him a couple times tonight, but he got Wall back. So I think Shamit's just hopefully continuing to build that confidence and just really developing as a player because I think we forget that he's still really young. He hasn't necessarily had a ton of NBA reps. Like let him get on the floor more, let him get a better feel for this team and maybe he'll continue to grow. Yeah, no, I'm
1: I'm, I'm loving what Shamit's still doing for this team. I think it's low key not being appreciated enough, but at the end of the day, you know, we here on The Buzz do appreciate Landry Shaman, yeah. what he's bringing to this team. His spacing, his effort, his intensity. That's something that, you know, you can't you can't deny. It's what Joe Harris brings us. And it's just like, look, Landry Shaman was a net negative completely defensively early on in his Brooklyn Nets tenure. And now it's like, you know what? I'm going to show this level of motivation. And there's going to be some times where, you know, some guys with some athleticism like John Moore might get past me, but I'm also going to be able to, you know, show a level of strength down low against the likes of Devin Booker and so. So I really hope he continues this consistency in this vein of form because we want him, we need him in our rotation to really strengthen it and solidify it. Um, And to have him and Joe Harris, you know, there aren't many teams in the league. There are some teams that could use one spacer that is as good as one of those guys, even though the Los Angeles Lakers, the Milwaukee Bucks, these sort of teams, whereas the Nets are lucky enough to have both of them. So I think it's a a real luxury to have. The Nets do have their gaps and their weaknesses. I'm not saying that they're the championship favorite and, and, and such, but what Landry Shaman is doing right now is elevating the depth of this team, and that's a really important thing that we didn't think the Nets would have after the James Harden trade.
2: Yeah, and there's potential for him to probably be even better, you know, because we've seen glimpses of other parts of his game, like the mid-range shot, driving to the lane, even some decent passes out there. And defensively, he just doesn't have the size, but he's relatively quick. Like, I think his quickness isn't too bad, and he fights. He uses some of those fundamentals that Joe uses. And I guess just touching on uh, Tyler Johnson, I thought it was a solid game for him. Just, you know, brought the energy. Didn't necessarily shoot great, but did his thing. And uh, DJ didn't have a great game, didn't have a bad game, just an overall okay game.
1: Look, if he continues to just rebound the ball well, Nick. You know, there was frustration levels to me that I think back to previous seasons and early points of this season where it's just like DJ had five boards, four boards, single-digit boards, where it's just like consistently now I'm looking at the box score, I'm looking at what he's doing out there. You know, he's not a horrible negative You know, his we sort of, I think it was probably the Knicks game that was a semi sort of turning point for him. It was just like, you know, Jared Allen's gone. We need you now, DJ. Whether it's against the likes of Giannis, whether it's against the likes of Joel Embiid, or whether it's against the no center team in the Houston Rockets. Yeah, I just think that what he's given this team right now, I'm really happy about. Um, and he's continued to rebound the ball well. And at the very least, if he's doing that, he's providing this team something. He needs to lead this team in rebounding night after night after night and hopefully show some effort defensively and show some motivation to get out on the perimeter and get on the switches because he's doing an okay job, and that's that's enough at this point in time. That's enough.
2: The Nets are so talented in other areas of their team that it's okay for DJ to just be Okay, like it just have a solid game. And now there's options, too, with Jeff Green coming back. Obviously, you can go small. You have Nick Claxton, who's like semi small, I guess, in terms of weight, but gives you the length that you want. So, I mean, now there's probably less pressure on DJ. Like we mentioned, we still probably like to see them add another maybe veteran big in case there's ever foul trouble. But I think the Nets are in a pretty good spot. I think they're probably roster wise a little bit better than what I anticipated post James Harden trade. I thought they would maybe have more struggles in terms of that second unit, but guys have stepped up and I thought it would be kind of like, maybe we have to wait for the buyout market to really hit full groove. But really what's holding the Nets back right now is just health. Like we've yet to see them fully healthy and on all cylinders. Jeff Green, I think it's, you know, something minor. They said it's a little bit of a nerve issue, but I expect him to be back. TLC, is thinking around the same thing, but we did get some news on KD and it wasn't great, Jack.
1: No, it was unfortunate. Malik Andrews uh, reporting off the broadcast that Katie is uh, with the physiotherapist uh, in Brooklyn. Still wasn't on the wasn't at the Houston Rockets game, uh, and would be getting some more imaging or some more scans on that hamstring um, two weeks after the 26th, which will be March 9th, which is two days before the Boston Celtics game. Hopefully, all is well. But at the end of the day. The cautious route is the best route. We want him to be back. I I know that it's a a frustrating thing for Nets fans, but I think a lot of us have the understanding where it's just like, as long as KD is healthy when it really does matter, I think we know that he can just insert himself and be like, you know what? I'll get 30, 10, and five tonight. You know, there are a few superstars that can do that. He did it coming off a goddamn Achilles. His first couple of games were just like, oh my God, this is Kevin Durant. I have no qualms about you know playing the cautious route and being conservative because like you mentioned Nick the depth of this rotation is okay right now it gives Nick Claxon opportunities it allows you to see what you've got in andre Roberson it gives Landry Shambert those extra minutes Tyler Johnson you know and we've still got again three guys that are rotation players some are better than others but three rotation players that when all any of them come back some of these guys that are playing minutes right now but look KD Get yourself healthy, mate. We want you healthy in in April, May when it really does matter. And we want you in that finals MVP.
2: Yeah. And I think it's really smart from the Nets just based off of the previous injury of being a torn Achilles. And I believe, you know, that was in his right ankle. And now this hamstring is with his left side. It would make sense that you would overcompensate that hamstring. It's a lot of tension there. And to be honest, hamstring injuries are lingering. Like, typically players will suffer a hamstring injury in the beginning of the season. I think this happened to Aaron Fox last year. And he said he never felt fully recovered until the off season. So I think playing the safe route with something like a hamstring is crucial because last thing you want is second round of the playoffs, game six, Katie pulls up for a three and he feels something in his thigh. You know, if you have the option to have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, play it out and just continue to win games because what, Jack, the Nets are 10-1 and in their last 11 games on a seven-game road winning streak without Kevin Durant, arguably, you know, the best player in the NBA this year. So let him come back, chill out, work him back to the highest level. And I think, honestly, the Nets might have dodged a really big injury finding this. And I don't know if it would have happened without the COVID protocol stuff or if it just was something happened because of that. But whatever it is, you know, hopefully KD is 100% by the time the postseason starts, which I think he will be
1: yeah adam silver doesn't want people partying in atlanta but i don't know about storming his headquarters in new york i might be doing that (laughs) i'm sure i can gather a few buzz listeners and Nets fans for that because i certainly place some portion of the blame that kevin Durant is injured right now based off of uh what he did and and his protocols and the nba's protocols but yeah kevin Durant's going to come back i got no semblance of lack of confidence of, of him coming back and fitting in seamlessly hopefully it is just all about the health i'm there's a, a weird part of me that's more help, more optimistic about it being a hamstring than a calf because you know the calf is the calf of the Achilles are so, are so intrinsically linked with what we've sort of seen with Anthony Davis and that's what we've seen in, in seasons past with other guys coming back from Achilles injuries you know Kobe Bryant and these sort of guys so the fact that he is a hamstring it shows that Kevin Ra is still it's more just about I think that the compensation like you mentioned Nick and you know it's more the other muscles and I'm glad it's not the lower part because it's that calf is so damn close to the Achilles and hopefully this hamstring, gets healthy sooner rather than later. You know, I'm and I think at the end of the day, once he is back, you know the Nets have a luxury of being like, you know what? We can ease you into this because right now we're one of the best teams in the NBA and if it weren't for the goddamn Utah Jazz would be the top team in the in the Eastern Conference too. So I'm almost surprised, Nick, very, very pleasantly surprised that we do have this luxury right now because at the start <laughs> of the season, I couldn't imagine that the Nets would be twenty four and thirteen and Kevin Around pays what, ten games, fifteen games?
2: yeah I think it's 18 full number I'm not 100% sure on that but like you said Jack you honestly I would think it would have been Kyrie missing all this time to be honest not Kevin Durant I thought he would be relatively healthy going into the season but that's why you make the trade for James Harden and you pointed this out you know the Nets aren't in this position with Karis Avert, Jared Allen, and Torian Prince that's no disrespect to those guys they're just not MVP level players but Jack I think that wraps it up happy to have you back as always and big thanks everybody for listening.
1: Clack
0: City bitch. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G.